begin to open my understanding to certain scriptures that would lead to an increased understanding at some time later. I've gone over that information somewhat with you about uh, someone standing in the temple of God, in the place of God, and how we discussed that, and he even put a finger on who it might be at the time. But it got me into a study, really, of Haggai and Zechariah and some of the other prophecies, and I gave a sermon about that sometime in 1981 up in Montana. And uh, then kind of put it on the back burner. But beginning in 1994, and more especially in 1996, I think God began to open my understanding to some things that helped open the prophecies and resulted in, really, first of all, uh, the Minor Prophet series in understanding what was happening in the church and how it would then occur within the nation and the nations of Israel. <clears throat> and that led to, uh, finally, a separation from a congregation that I was involved with at the time over certain understanding, primarily the calendar. But I want us to go to Ezekiel 33 uh, today. First of all, Ezekiel 33, God came to Ezekiel again, saying, Son of man, speak to the children of your people, and say to them, When I bring the sword upon a land, if the people of the land take a man of their coasts and set him for their watchman. Now, I think by opening my mind to understand certain things, God created a necessity for me to be a watchman of kind, of a kind, to the church and to make known the information that had come to my attention. Uh, so the opening of understanding was not something because of my brilliance or spirituality, but because God had a message that he wanted the church to have, and he chose a week and base to deliver that, uh, no doubt. So, that message was contrived of and sprung from God himself. And the very fact of having that knowledge laid a responsibility, uh, a commission, if you will, upon me to disseminate that because you are responsible for what you have. Now, there's a little bit of a turn here. It says, if the people of the land <clears throat> take a man of their coasts and set him for their watchman. Now, in the year 2000, as a result of uh, having to split off from uh, the Church of the Great God, I had planned to come out to Zion to keep the feast, probably just my wife and I, but I began receiving calls uh, from July 4th, not July the 4th, but 4th from July in the year of 2000, from people I mostly did not know. A few of them I knew through Church of the Great God, such as the Rome Hills and the uh, uh, Dale and Barbara the Whites, and uh, that's a out it, I guess. But these other people were total strangers, and somehow they heard of what was going on and called up and says, where are you going to the feast and why and so on. So from that, I said, well, I'm going to Zion. If you want to come, you're welcome. 
and about 70 people showed up. Well, at that time, we had a meeting, and some of you were there. A few, a few remain of that original group, at least. And the consensus was that you wanted me to be your watchman or pastor, uh, whatever word you want to use here, uh, to give guidance from the Word of God and what He would have us to do in order to be protected in this age, to finish His work, and to participate in His kingdom. So, this group was launched in 2000, beginning with the Feast of Trumpets as our first phone hookup, and the Feast of Tabernacles being the first actual meeting. <laughs> Since then, we have seen the growth of this community and the establishment of this place in the area that God has shown through Scripture and in many ways to be the correct area that we should be in. Now, let's proceed for a little bit here. If we do have a watchman we've appointed... If when he sees the sword come upon the land, he blow the trumpet and warn the people, then whosoever hears the sound of the trumpet and takes not warning, if the sword come and take him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet and took not warning. His blood shall be upon him, but he that takes warning shall deliver his soul. But if the watchman see the sword come, and blow not the trumpet, and the people be not warned, if the sword come and take any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at the watchman's hand. So there is a responsibility, if you're going to stand and speak to God's people, to be sure they have proper warning of what God has in mind to do, and let them know. Otherwise, it's on your head. So there's a responsibility involved with having knowledge of what is proposed to happen, is about to happen, and maybe down to what is happening. Now, warn why? So that they might have a chance to save their sorry hides, is that the purpose of the warning? No, it goes much, much deeper than that, although our sorry hides we would preserve, certainly. But it goes deeper than just our physical uh, protection. Verse 8, When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you shall surely die, if you do not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked men, man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at your hand. So then he goes on and talks about the wicked and how we are responsible for ourselves and so on, and I don't want to go through the rest of the chapter. We've been there before. But it does say if we will repent, no matter what we have done or been, God will preserve and protect us that the wicked who turns to righteousness will be preserved, and the righteous who turns wicked will not be preserved. So God lays the gauntlet down as to our behavior. Now, in the world, we see all kinds of violence, which God says is what will bring about the demise of society, culture, and this nation. 
uh, just as it did in the days of Noah. We see murder and mayhem and war and all kinds of violence occurring in the world, among other sins, all kinds. And we even here sometimes look at the deaths by suicide that the government perpetrates, uh, you know, with somebody shot in the back of the head eight or nine times and it's declared a suicide, uh, that type of thing, <coughs> and strange accidents and weird happenings that occur. And governments around the world uh, kill people uh, on a regular basis. So we sit and we decry the national sin and how we are bringing destruction and death upon us. But we have to understand, as the churches of God, that we are involved in the same thing. God blew us apart, scattered us, and has brought the spiritual sword and famine and destruction and captivity upon the church, so that what we saw as a unified body is now in little pieces. A few bigger pieces, but mostly little pieces. And that is because of spiritual, not necessarily physical sins. I think we've seen that uh, said many times. But we don't, the church hasn't, all the splinters haven't, so far as I know, uh, gotten involved much in, let's say, physical death or murder. No, we do it on an entirely different plane, brethren, of the churches of God have. We do spiritual assassinations. We do character assassination. We do and say things that would cause people to be upset emotionally, uh, mentally, uh, who it might cause them to lose faith and trust in God. So we do it on a spiritual level, which, by and large, is far worse than physical murder. If we can help someone along the road toward giving up spiritual existence, the second death, we have created a far greater crime than pulling a physical trigger and killing somebody with a gun. Now that's where the churches of God have been, and it's what has been going on throughout the church for these last 25 years and even before. So, to you and me, it is a spiritual warning. To the rest of the world, Ezekiel 33, the physical nations of Israel, it's more of a physical warning of a physical death and destruction and famine and pestilence that is coming upon them. So we have to, whether we be part of the spiritual nation of God or whether we be part of the physical nations of Israel, we have to take that warning upon ourselves based on who and what we are. Now, in the church, of course, we realize that if we don't take the heed on the spiritual level, that we will be left in the physical tribulation and we will suffer that ignominy and torturous death as well. So, for us, the stakes are much higher. It is jeopardy of the second death, along with jeopardy of the first death. So we, to whom much has been given, also have much more required of us, you see. So we are in double jeopardy. 
not just single jeopardy as the world is today around us. But I want to, today, go into more of the physical side of this with the nations of Israel and the rest of the world and what is going on, because we have given warning over and over since 1996, really, about what is happening in the church and why and the ultimate results and what was said beginning in 96, actually not to a wide audience, but at least briefly in part from 1981 on. But from 96 on, the message has been very, very clear to the church. So we have understood that. I think we realize and have watched as the splintering has gotten worse and worse and people more and more are giving up their faith in God and the things that they have understood, beginning to return to their vomit in many cases and giving up things that they have learned and known in the churches of God and going into more and more false doctrine and so on and so forth. So that is pretty clear. But there is also a danger to the nation which is now growing and looming closer and closer, as I've been saying, and many others have been for a long time, and I've been looking for it since the 60s, really, if not before. Well, back into the 50s we were looking at world news to see how all these prophecies might shake out. And it's taken decades and decades and decades in my personal experience alone. But now it seems that the crisis is upon us. And I think it would be remiss if I did not spend some time discussing that in more detail. Uh, Recently I gave a few sermons about who the Assyrian might be and that it might change our thinking somewhat from Germany to another power that seems to be coming to the forefront Uh, There's no doubt the Assyrian will lead the charge against us, but then the question was, who's the Assyrian? And I'm beginning to feel fairly conclusively, at least, that it is not Germany, but more than likely Russia and her allies, the BRICS nations and others who will join in. Now let's review for a moment that this is going to start with a financial crash. Zephaniah 1, I have been over many times. I will not go there in order to save time, or at least not much. Let me go just a little bit and hit the very highlights of this. God starts it in verse 2 by saying, I will utterly consume all things from off the land, says the Eternal. And he names uh, fishes and beasts and birds and all the things, and cuts the remnant of Baal off, false worship, false gods, idols, and so on. And those that are turned back from God in verse 6, and it says, Hold your peace before God, for the day of the Lord is at hand. So he gives this prophecy thousands of years ago in relationship to right now, where we are poised on the world scene, just before, the events just before, the coming day of the Lord. So that gives you a time setting for what follows in Zephaniah. He says he'll punish the kings and the priests, the leaders, and those in strange apparel. That is, anything apart from the truth of God. 
In the same day will I punish those that are complacent, to summarize, and in the end of verse 10, there'll come a crashing from the hills. We've always talked about stock market crashes, financial crashes, and in 1611, that is the word they chose to <coughs> to uh, translate from the Hebrew into what will be happening. How you inhabitants of Maktesh, that was a merchant area, uh, like Wall Street or the stock market today, within the city of Jerusalem. So it had to do with uh, the financial situation. All they that bear silver are cut off. And those who think that God will not have just recompense for what has been going on are going to be sadly disillusioned, it says in verse uh, 11. And their houses shall be, they shall build houses, but not inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards, but not drink the wine thereof, verse 13. We've had a housing boom, tremendous one in this country recently, and then a crash of values, and now it's been building back with an even bigger bubble. And uh, our wine-growing and almond-growing regions in California are being decimated by drought and so on. And thousands of acres of vineyards and almond trees are being cut down. Again, the setting, verse 14. The great day of the eternal is near, it is near. So not just close, but very close in emphasis. And haste greatly, even the voice of the day of the eternal. And the mighty man will cry bitterly. We know how the elites of this world are going to wind up. The day of trouble, and so on. Verse 18, neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the eternal's wrath, but the whole land shall be devoured by the fire of his jealousy. Not nuclear fire, but God's fire of jealousy. I don't think it will be nuclear, as I've said before, because they don't want to destroy the infrastructure here. They want it for their use. They want to get rid of wasps, white Anglo-Saxon Protestants, primarily, or Israelites, in a larger sense of the word. So that is the target. I'll go back briefly to Isaiah 30. And here let's pick it up in verse 10, Isaiah 30 and verse 10. For the people shall dwell in Zion... Now, wait a minute, I'm looking at the wrong spot here. Am I in... Thirty verse 10. Yeah, I was, I was, for some reason here I was looking at uh, a different verse. Would say to the seers, see not, and to the prophets, prophesy not to us, write things... Speak to us smooth things, prophesy deceits. So the people are not going to want to be waked up. They are not going to be want to be told that danger is here. Uh, that's something we just soon not hear about. Let's keep our heads in our TVs or wherever we've got them. And let's not consider what's happening. And God says it will come as a great surprise in other scriptures. <laughs> so people do not want to hear and we don't like to hear hard things, do we? We'd rather hear soft, pleasant things, but that doesn't do us any good. Like crying to repent. Well, why do we need to repent? Because we have sins. What will sin do? It will keep us out of the kingdom of God. That's what it will do. 
So we need to change some things. But we don't want to hear that. Get you out of the way. Turn aside out of the path. Cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. Let's not hear what God has to say. Wherefore, thus says the Holy One of Israel, because you despise this word and trust in oppression and perverseness and stay with that, therefore this iniquity shall be to you as a breach, a rent, a cut, a tear, ready to fall, swelling out in a high wall. So he says, this destruction I've decreed is going to be like a high wall standing and it is cut through, whose breaking comes suddenly at an instant. So it echoes the words of Zephaniah, a crash, a very fast occurrence. It will build, it will build, it will swell out and swell out until it just falls suddenly. We've been seeing deterioration in the economy of the world and of, of this nation for quite some time now. It's been swelling out, and it is getting very near the crash from everything that I can see. Now, let's go from there briefly again to Revelation 18. We've been over this. I think we have seen fairly clearly in the past that Revelation 18 and this great horror of Babylon is indeed the United States. She is the one who rides the beast, uh, as we saw toward the end of verse or chapter 17, and how this woman, this whore, uh, controls things, but the beast hates her and then turns on her and kills her. Many have thought that was the Catholic Church, but that is not the case. The Catholic Church has not done the things that Revelation 18 describes, nor the things that Jeremiah 50 and 51 describe. And in fact, God himself shows Israel is this fallen woman in Ezekiel 16 and in other places where he shows, Hosea is another one we covered recently, where he shows that Hosea was to marry uh, a prostitute, a whore, in order to fulfill a prophecy about Israel. So we're, we're the people in question here. And it says that Babylon has fallen, is fallen. Now I understand that Babylon is Satan's system. It encompasses the whole world. But we are the woman who has been riding that beast for quite some time. The one remaining superpower uh, who has her will and her way, if you will, with the world. Bombing whoever we wish and being the hammer of the whole earth, as Jeremiah says. Now here, it says, is fallen, is fallen, and I think that we, as the present leader of this Babylonian satanic system, will fall, and out of that will emerge a new world order, another system, which is essentially the same, with Satan at the helm, and then it will also fall under the power of Christ at the end of the tribulation, after 42 months of the times of the Gentiles. Hasn't started yet. But he talks to us about coming out of her, my people, verse 4, that you be not partakers of her sins and don't receive of her plagues. So it is incumbent upon us with spiritual understanding to be sure we are not associated 
with this Babylon that is about to fall. And it talks about how her sins have gone up before God, and she sat like a queen and said that nothing would happen to her. She wouldn't become a, a widow. Uh, but he says in verse 8, Her plagues will come in one day, death and mourning and famine. And the kings of the earth who have been made rich by her are going to mourn and cry and wail bitterly that the source of their wealth has been destroyed. And it has been the American market that has made nations rich. The Catholic Church, on the other hand, has never made any nation rich. They've made the Vatican rich. They have robbed and pillaged other nations all over the world. Uh, and impoverish them as opposed to making them rich and wealthy. But we are just the opposite. We are the mighty city that the merchants of the earth have become wealthy from. Verse 17, For in one hour so great riches is come to nothing. And then it talks again how they'll bewail it and how this could have happened. In the verse 19 it says she's made desolate in one hour. So one day, one hour... A very, very short period of time. Uh, verse 23, the end of the... Your merchants were the great men of the earth, for by your sorceries, or pharmacia, uh, were all nations deceived. So, all kinds of chicanery, and I think it has to do also with drugs, legal drugs, if you will, among other things that we have destroyed the nations with. So we are culpable, just like the church was, and we are going to be taken into captivity. Now, it did say that our merchants were the great men of the earth, not our politicians, not our statesmen, if there is such a thing anymore, but our merchants. In other words, corporations, those who are doing business, who today are the wealthy, who do control the politics of the world, by controlling the politicians of the world, and the politicians, through payoff, intimidation, or murder, are herded into a corner where they will do what the owners of the major corporations or merchants of the earth tell them to do. That is where we are today. I want to go back to Isaiah 8 again. We've been here again several times, but... Let's see in clear language what God has to say. <clears throat> he talks here how the king of Assyria in verse 7 will come in all his glory to destroy us and pass over. <clears throat> and God throws a challenge to those who would destroy Israel and go against God in every aspect of their lives. He says, associate yourselves. O you people, and you shall be broken in pieces. Give ear, all you far countries. Gird yourselves, and you shall be broken in pieces. So God says that the Assyrian is the rod of his anger. I think it's in chapter 10. Uh, and will be used for that. But he also gives a warning to them that if they come against his people Israel, they too will be punished by God, the day of the Lord. He says, verse 10, Take counsel together, and it shall come to nothing. Speak the word, and it shall not stand, for God is with us. <coughs> the, God, the term God with us means Emmanuel. 
So Christ himself, the one we now call Emmanuel, will be with us against the Assyrian when he comes into our land, as Micah 5 and 6 show. For the Eternal spoke thus to me with a strong hand. God very clearly showed Isaiah what was happening. It wasn't just a, a thought that flitted across his mind, but it was something very powerful. And instructed me that I should not walk in the way of this people, saying, you not, or say you not, a confederacy, to all them to whom this people shall say a confederacy, neither fear <coughs> their fear, nor be afraid. So he said to the nations, associate yourselves together, that is, make a plan to destroy Israel. Now, associating yourselves together and making a plan is what? It's an alliance. It is a confederacy. It is a coalition. And dare I use the word conspiracy? Because that has become a dirty word in conspiracy theories. This is not a theory. This is something God has stated will happen. And you could use one of many synonyms, confederacy, alliance, coalition, call it what you will. But any of those are when more than one person, two, three, four, five, or more, get together to make a plan against someone. That's what a conspiracy is. And God said there will be those who conspire together to destroy Israel, right here in so many words. And he says, don't fear it. Sanctify the Eternal of hosts himself, and let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. And if I could speak any words of wisdom to us, it would be to take that verse at face value. Fear God, not man. What did Christ say? Fear him who is able to kill body and soul, not just him who is able to fear, kill body. Same words, different context. There is only one protection to be had, and that is in Almighty God and His Son Emmanuel, who will be with us if we obey and serve Him. So we can be aware of what is coming, and it is my responsibility to make you aware and warn you so that you might turn to God. That's the critical reason for the warning, because that's the only way that you are going to survive what is coming is to turn to God. Well, that's the key to this. Anyway, it's coming. Uh, he said, verse 18, Behold, I and the children whom the Eternal has given me are for signs and for wonders in Israel from the Eternal of hosts which dwells in Mount Zion. So God is going to make his dwelling in Zion in these last days. Christ will come and dwell with us, as Zechariah 2 says. And those who are faithful will be drawn there to finish the work of God. So this is a here and now prophecy about you and me, if we are faithful, and those who will come to join us to do what God needs done. And when they shall say to you, Seek to them that have familiar spirits, and wizards that peep and that mutter, should not a people seek their God for the living to the dead? I prefer to get my information about what is going to happen from the Bible rather than worldly preachers. 
Now, they may have some insights at some times. <clears throat> but overall, they're going to lead you astray because there will be a twist in every case. So we must be very, very careful and not listen to this world and be any part of its religions and listening to its preachers or involved in it in any way, or we are going against God because they are associated not with the true God, but with the false God, Satan, of this world. And we must be very careful and very judicious in what we allow to come to our minds. The Word of God is the key. Uh, that does not mean that there aren't people out there who understand what is happening, and we can read some of the things they're writing to see the wolf as it comes to the door, but not from a religious standpoint. That is the part of it that is truly dangerous. So we have, God says, a confederacy or coalition or conspiracy against Israel. And we find many scriptures that show that Israel will be taken into captivity and destroyed here at the end time. Now let's begin to analyze here where we are. This nation has made many enemies. We have indeed hammered the whole earth. I looked up this morning just briefly all the military involvements we have been in. I, I just picked the date 1950 since after World War II had subsided. <clears throat> and the list of conflicts and interventions and various things that we have been involved in uh, was so involved and so long that I decided not to even go there today because I'd have been an hour and a half, two hours just getting through the list of where we've been since 1950. We have indeed hammered virtually anyone who stood against us since the American Empire began. So we have made many enemies. And we have found many ways to be the hammer of the whole earth. We have concocted wars against terrorism, regime changes for so-called democratic purposes. Uh, we've waged different conflicts to protect our economic interests and different false flags and so on that we have staged in order to cause the American people to say, okay, go ahead and fight, you know, you're this... This terrorism is going to kill us, so go get them. So they've done all kinds of things to cause these scriptures to be fulfilled. Now let's understand what it is economically that we are under and a part of. I'm going to give a brief thumbnail description. I don't want to go into great deal about a lot of things for sake of time. But to give you a thumbnail sketch of how we got where we are today and what is about to happen. Though there have been people for centuries, actually thousands of years, we can go back into the very early chapters of Genesis to find people who wanted to rule the world and went about it in different ways. And down through history of humanity, you can find all kinds of characters that we read about in our history books who decided they want to rule their region or rule the world. Many of them are mentioned in the Bible. Some of them are just there in world history. 
And you can start naming names like Alexander the Great or Napoleon or on and on and on it goes. So it should not appear strange to us that there would be people in this age, at Satan's behest, who also want to rule the world. Do you know the United States government wants to rule the world? And has been working at it for a long time now. How do you do that? Not by going out necessarily and conquering nations and making total slaves out of them in the historical sense, but bombing them, uh, blackmailing them, forcing them through economic sanctions and various things. We have many, many different weapons in our repertoire to make people do what it is that we want done. Now, the American people are not necessarily so much a part of that, and we want peace like the Russian people and the German people do. But those who are in the halls of power want to the world and make everybody do what they want done for their own benefit. That's the way it has always been and will be until Christ returns to this earth and puts down all opposition. In 1910, seven very important financial figures... I don't say they were important people in the sense of God's assessment of importance, but in their eyes and in the eyes of the financial world, those men quietly boarded trains and headed for Jekyll Island, Georgia, where they had a meeting in which they wished to control the entire economic system of the United States of America, and they were there as representatives of very wealthy bankers, in Europe, primarily, and some very influential people in America. And they devised a system whereby a private banking cartel or corporation would control the money and the economics of this nation. Now, they realized they couldn't force it on us, but they would work it through legislation, and they would through various means, get the votes necessary to pass it. And in 1913, the Federal Reserve Act was passed in Congress, and a private banking cartel became known as the Federal Reserve. Now, that, was, that name was designed to make people think that it was a part of the United States government, when indeed it was not. It was a private banking partnership, but giving it that name gave it credibility. And they were then given the authority, not constitutionally, but given in any case, to create the money of this nation and to control it and to turn the faucets off and on and therefore to actually control our entire economic situation and economy. That has survived until this day. And those men represented the big financial players on earth. Now that gave them control of this nation. 
Other nations also had central banks that were uh, involved with this banking cartel in other countries. But they controlled the strings behind the curtain, if you will. And we had puppet governments. The American government from that day forward was a puppet government controlled by the businesses. Is that not what we read in uh, Revelation 18? The merchants of the earth are the ones that have the power. Those bankers and businessmen who control the corporations. There is the source of real power, not the politicians. Now, the circumstance with the United States becoming the leader of Babylon was ratcheted up a great deal in 1944 and 45 with what was called the Bretton Woods Agreement. After World War II, the world was in economic confusion to a great degree, and since we had come out the victors, and Britain was basically in shambles, and they had had the world reserve currency up until that time, but they were no longer a viable, uh, in a viable position to control the commerce of the world. So, with the Bretton Woods Agreement, <clears throat> it set up the United States dollar as the world reserve currency. Now, what that means is that from that time forward, all international trading had to be settled in United States dollars. You could not take your pesos and buy something from France for francs. They had a bank of international settlements that was set up to settle all debts between countries, and the U.S. dollar would be the uh, exchange tool. That has continued until recently. Now, that gave us an incredible advantage financially. Everybody had to have our money. It became known at some point as the petrodollar, <clears throat> reserve currency petrodollar, pretty well interchangeable, because to buy oil, among other things, <coughs> you had to have United States dollars. And the Bretton Woods Agreement had guaranteed that. So for the world to buy oil, it was only with dollars. They even set up a SWIFT system, <clears throat> which is a uh, wireless, wired and then wireless uh, tie-up between all the nations of the world, whereby you could only send money through the bank of settlements through the SWIFT system. I came in touch with that in Alaska years ago when we were sending uh, salmon to Israel. And the only way we could do it was to send the fish and have a letter of agreement from Israel, and that would be settled in United States dollars, not Israeli money, uh, through the SWIFT system. So that's the way it's been working all this time. And, in, and controlled by the international bankers through the Federal Reserve of the United States and the central banks of other nations. So they've had a tight control on money. All the way through. In 1971, Nixon uh, divorced our dollar from all precious metal backing, silver, gold, or any other kind. So it became, at that point, strictly a fiat dollar. That doesn't mean a little funny Italian car. That means a dollar with no backing whatsoever. 
just paper, and the only thing that has caused that dollar to survive to this point is a confidence in the American economy and system, and two, the fact that they had to use it for international trading. It's the only thing that's kept it strong at all. Now, when you become, through this chicanery, the most powerful economic nation on earth, what does that create? Jealousy? Frustration? Difficulties? And then when you begin to misuse and abuse other nations in order to retain that power of the American dollar over them, it creates a very deep level of dissatisfaction. Now, what began to happen was that nations chafing under our rule, and that's what it was, began to make noises about trading with their own currency. And what we have pursued as an international policy from the first time that occurred is to bomb them into oblivion and stop that. That was the real reasoning behind the Iraqi war. Hussein was going to begin to trade in Iraqi currency instead of U.S. dollars. They had decided to set up an oil bourse, which is basically an exchange center. And that is the underlying reason we attacked them, no matter what we had to say publicly. The same thing happened in Libya. Gaddafi was a man who was beloved of his people. Every family that got married, couple, received a free house from the government. Their currency was backed by gold. He was made out to be a very evil man and had some oil. But we wanted his gold and his oil. So we made him out to be a bad guy, and we bombed Libya as well. Now, Iran threatened to begin to trade oil for other than U.S. dollars, to break that Bretton Woods agreement. Well, you see what that does to us? If they can trade without using the dollar, it makes our dollar of less value. And nobody wants it anymore. They don't need it anymore. And yet we've printed trillions and trillions of them. And in a very short period of time, have gone from the greatest, wealthiest nation on earth, almost overnight it would seem, into the most in-debt nation the world has ever known. Other nations could not print dollars or their own currency willy-nilly like we could because nobody needed their money and all it would do was create inflation and trouble within their own economy. But everybody had to have the U.S. dollar so we could print as much as we wanted, it seemed. But it's coming back to bite us because now we have hundreds of trillions of dollars out there in all kinds of financial instruments that are becoming utterly worthless as the U.S. dollar is destroyed and it is being destroyed. So we have set out to destroy anyone who wanted to breach our hegemony in any way, our control. And we did it with bombs, the hammer of the whole earth. Now, we had a small bubble that burst in 2008. Tiny bubbles in the wine, maybe. 
and it created a very deep recession in this country and to a degree around the world. <clears throat> but we've begun to blow air into another bubble, and we've made it even bigger, and the original one that was there never fully burst anyway, just a part of it. But the one that is swelling today is far, far greater in size and impact than that one in 2008 was. But we still are tied to the Bretton Woods Agreement. The U.S. dollar is the world reserve currency. So we've attacked these nations. But when we tried to attack Iran, we got resistance from Russia and China primarily. Now that wasn't an idle threat, because those nations do not like us, and they do not want us to continue to be the powerful nation that we have been. So behind the scenes, they threatened that if we attacked Iran, there would be definite trouble. So we backed off with our weak leadership that we have, and remember that this is all being controlled, these wars back and forth, by these merchants of the earth who profit from both sides of the war and always have. And the one that is being set up is World War III. They plan to profit from as well. And they are directing both our government and the Russian government and other governments because they hold the power through finance. And we do what they tell us to do. So we backed off from attacking Iran and decided to go into Syria, kind of do it the back way and get in through the back door. But Russia sent military machines there and warned us off, and we kind of backed away. In the meantime, we had created what they called ISIS or IS, Islamic State now. We had supplied them, and since we were being threatened, we turned them loose in the Middle East to let them wreak the destruction for us and claim to be against them and sort of be bombing them on the side. But we created them in the first place. And Putin and the Russians and the Chinese know this. They've said it. It's not just some freak out on the computer that says it. The nations of the world know what's going on. Now, according to Daniel 8, the goat from the West, which I think is the United States, would bomb and destroy uh, the Medes and the Persians, which apparently is Iraq and Iran, and then our horn would be broken. Now, we have been pushed back from attacking Iran, but don't disallow the possibility of that yet happening, if that is indeed the correct understanding of Daniel 8. So, now we have escalated this thing, trying to find a way to retain our power, our leaders, against the BRICS, the Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa, and other of their allies. So what did we do? We went just north of Iran and deposed the government of the Ukraine under the guise of establishing democracy. So we made that move. And the Russians didn't like it, and they began amassing some military hardware along the borders. 
So we made another move and said we would have sanctions against some Russians to help destroy their economy and their standing in the world. They didn't like that. Now, the G20, 20 governments, recently met in Australia, and they made an agreement that the money in the banks belonged to them, not to the depositors. And they made, the 19 nations, made Putin look bad and put him down throughout the whole time, and he even left early. So there was some political chicanery going on there against, basically, the West against Russia, if you will. He didn't like that at all. Now, as a result of that, just as last week, Switzerland decided that if you put money in a Swiss bank, you had to pay to do that. So where we are going is that from now on, and it started in Switzerland and will spread, really started in Cyprus before that, now you don't own your money. If you put it in the bank, give it to the bank, then in their estimation, you gave it to them, literally, not just as fiduciary responsibility, but you gave it to them and it is now theirs. And they can charge you money to keep it there. It's already happening in Switzerland. It will soon happen here. But instead of bailouts, where the government uses our dollars to give the banks through the Federal Reserve, not federal again, they will have bail-ins like they had in Cyprus, where instead of telling the people, we want you to give us some of your income as taxes to help us, now they're saying, let's bypass that, let's just take the money right out of your account. That's much simpler. And... We're going to do it. And they did it. It was a trial balloon. And they were setting the system up to do that here as well as in other places on earth. And now they've started doing it in a small degree in Switzerland and it will spread. So if you have money in a bank, be prepared to be quote-unquote taxed on what you have there. Or to begin to pay interest on it if you have it there because they consider it theirs. By international or by G20 agreement in Australia, they passed it. And now it's being worked on in this nation as well. So after that, the Russians sent military to the Ukraine border in greater uh, amounts. And now what has happened? You've seen the price of oil drop, and isn't that a good thing for American people, that they can go to the gas pump now and pay maybe a buck less or more for their fuel. Sounds like a good thing, doesn't it? Well, by agreement, behind the scenes, our government set it up with oil producers that have been up to this point at least allies of ours, to lower the price of oil. Why? To hurt Russia. The sanctions weren't doing what they wanted. So we, this is like a game of chess. They do something, we do something. They do something, we do something. So now, we've lowered the price of oil. Well, what does that do? It hurts Russia's economy a great deal because they depend on oil sales to fuel their economy. 
And the ruble then began to crash because with the oil price going down, the ruble becomes worthless. Ironically, it appears Russia has even bought some U.S. dollars as protection against the fall of the ruble. Why? Because the dollar still has some value and still can be traded on the international scene, and we'll see primarily for gold in their estimation. So the dollar is a stopgap measure for a moment, even though the powers that be in the world want the American dollar destroyed so they can issue their new currency in their new world order. But this is taking time and it's working out. So, this is just recent, and these events are speeding up. Now, instead of waiting years for something to happen, it's happening week by week and maybe even day by day. Now, Russia has responded. And we, in the last few days, have sent a hundred tanks and other things into Eastern Europe because we're ratcheting toward not just a cold war, but a world war, a hot war, that the international financiers wish to have, so that they can destroy the present order of the United States leading the world and issue their new world order led by Gentile nations, the times of the Gentiles, that they are preparing for. Now, Russia has made another move since then. Just in the last day or two, they have begun to trade Russian oil and gas only for gold. They're demanding gold. Now, they are still accepting U.S. dollars with a proviso. And that is the end result of that transaction whereby they take dollars winds up in those dollars turning into physical gold as the end product of the trade. So they'll still use the U.S. dollar as a means to an end, the acquisition of gold. But now China, Russia, India have been buying up all the gold they can get their hands on frantically, getting rid of their U.S. dollars because they know they're headed to worthlessness. But let's look at the impact of what the Russians are doing and what effect it will have on the world. We have gotten rid of most of our gold. <clears throat> and we have been those who have been holding in trust the gold of other nations <clears throat> in this nation and in London. But those nations now are beginning, Germany started it, to ask for their gold back. And we're not giving it to them. Now other nations are starting to ask us and London for their goal to be repatriated to their own country, and they're being turned down. Primarily because we have either sold their gold or leased it out to other countries, and it is not coming back, and therefore we do not have it anymore and cannot give it back to them. Now they have been then put in a vice, and the handle is being turned. If they must wind up settling their oil purchase or gas purchase, in the case through Europe, with gold, 
they will very quickly run out of gold because they either don't have much or what they do have, they can't get back from America or Britain. And then they begin to hate America and Britain even worse because they don't have any heat for their homes and factories and they can't get their goal to buy heat from us. So this thing ratchets up very, very quickly and makes the Israelite countries, particularly Joseph, the target of their ire. How long can the Western nations, particularly Europe, buy natural gas and oil from Russia with gold? Not very long. And what gold they do have will then be in the control of Russia and some of it to China. Because Russia and China, some months ago, made a deal to sell energy and to trade back and forth in their own currency. Now, we've whipped up on all the little nations when they tried to do that. But this is a big nut to swallow. This has gone big time. How do we attack Russia and China for doing that? Well, we tried sanctions and we tried our little incursion into Ukraine... We're doing what we can, but we have to realize that America has been dismantling its own military and getting rid of its nuclear weapons while Russia is building theirs up. So not only are we spineless politically, we're also becoming spineless militarily. And we fired 300 of our leading military generals and other leaders over the last two or three years. And our military is crippled. So we are essentially powerless to go against the Russians and the Chinese, and they know it. Now this is a big, hardball move that the Russians have just made. How do we counter it? What's our next move? What can you do when your gold is gone and the Russians demand gold? And other nations then begin to see, hey, we can sell our oil, like the Saudi Arabians, for gold as well, and we don't have to use the dollar anymore. And they've already begun to make noises that they are going to do just that, the Saudi Arabians. Our ticket is punched. If this were a chess match... We're done. It's over. Checkmate. Finished. We have no moves left. Meantime, we have Jeremiah fifty fifteen rattling through our heads, do we not, brethren? That says she will give her hand. That our own nation, our own leaders will sell us out. If the Russians can maintain this energy for gold, we haven't a chance. Others will abandon the dollar very quickly, and various nations have been making plans and started doing that behind our backs already. It's gotten out of control. We could control Libya. We could control Iraq. 
We might control Iran, except for the big Russian bear there and the Chinese who say no. And we can't do anything about it except lash out feebly like a, an old woman. Because we have no power left. Our goose is cooked. Now the very fact that these things are ratcheting upward so very, very fast, and events don't take decades now, they take weeks or days between the chess moves. Tells me that we're getting very near the end game. And what they have just done, I see no way that we can counter it. We don't have the political power, the monetary power, or the military power to withstand what the world is about to do to us. Now, this isn't just my analysis. That's what the Bible says. Ezekiel 5, that we will be going into captivity. That a third of us will die of famine and pestilence. A third will die of the sword. And a third will be taken captive. And most of them will die in slavery. That is what is scheduled for the United States and Britain and the other nations of Israel very soon now. And I think I had to go over some of this to show us that these aren't just ancient prophecies, brethren, that we could read and say, well, this could happen someday, and what does this mean, and, and what form will it take? No, it's formed. It's before our very eyes. It's happening to us right now. <clears throat> and in selling us out, our own government has started a de Department of Homeland Security, big joke, and given them 2.2 billion rounds of ammunition in one purchase. And they are inciting race riots by making the cops more aggressive. They're creating division. And I read to you in Jeremiah, I think 50 or 51, just recently, how there would be rumors in the nation, and the next year rumors and violence, ruler against ruler. So it's being set up right now in many, many ways to sell out this nation. Open the border. Let all the Latinos that want to come in, come in. Let all the Muslims that want to come in, come on in. Let all the terrorists and communists and whoever, welcome aboard. They just recently said they'll give them driver's licenses now. I think this was this last week. So in every way, our government is undermining us and selling us out. And when this thing economically crashes, which it has to do, because the U.S. dollar is so important to it, and now they're bypassing it all around the world, and it will become absolutely worthless to anybody, anywhere. And then the chickens will come home to roost. Our dollar will become utterly valueless. We'll buy nothing. We'll throw it in the streets, as Zephaniah 1 tells us. And maybe the physical gold and silver along with it, because you can't eat it either. When it all comes down. That's where we are. I think we need to be very apprised of it, very aware of it, and realize that turning to God right now is the only viable option we have. 
we had better draw together in love and concern and compassion and in mercy one with another. We must uphold and strengthen and be positive with one another. We must not divide ourselves among ourselves with backbiting, with gossip, with character assassination, and the spiritual violence that the world is doing in a physical way. If we don't repent of that and don't draw close together as the family of God and the bride of Christ, we will be left out. And any who do not will be left out. That is the warning that God gives in Ezekiel 33. You have heard. Now, we need to react in a spiritual way to be what we need to be. And the world needs to react, at least in a physical way, and begin to turn to God, which Jeremiah says they will not do. And God said, don't even pray for this nation because it will not repent. says there also that we'd save this nation if we could, but we can't. It's doomed. It's done. And the final pieces are being played right now to bring it down. Now let's consider the church. Will it heed spiritually? Will it repent? Will it draw together? I'm sorry, it's like the physical nation. It won't. Ten percent, a small minority, will. Ninety percent will not. And the church will go into not only the spiritual captivity and punishment we have been in, but also the physical. Ten percent will respond and repent and love one another and move forward. The rest will be left behind. What about you? What about me? It's on a personal level. We know the church will not move together as a body and come back together and be viable in any way. Won't happen. Scripture says so. Nation won't come together, but will divide and go piecemeal and go civil war just like the church has been doing. It's going to happen. Only a few have the true knowledge that we have considered today and have opportunity to repent and change and grow together in love to accomplish God's purposes and to be part of the Bride of Christ, which will have no division, it will have no argument, no fighting, no attitudes. That's where we have to be headed. You've been warned, I've been warned, and it's going to be posted on the internet for anyone who wants to pay attention. But God is going to show his mighty hand soon, because he says his people will gather just as the northern army begins to come. And it will happen very, very suddenly, very quickly. Forewarned is forearmed, brethren. If we want to save ourselves physically and spiritually, 
we had better act because judgment is at the door.